G'day everyone. Welcome to the Spud Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Taylor. And uh, today's podcast is brought to you by me. <laughs> I don't have any advertisers on here other than me. So the DIY Spud Fit Challenge is my book. Subtitle, A How-To Guide to Doing Your Own Spud Fit Challenge. It's a little book that me and my wife wrote. Uh, my beautiful, amazing wife, Mandy Van Zanen. Uh, it's all about the hows and whys and whats and wheres of doing your own spud fit challenge, your own potato-only diet challenge. Uh, I ate only potatoes for all of last year, uh, all of 2016, nothing but potatoes, and uh, and uh, a lot of people asked me for advice, so I put together this short book to help people do it if that's what they choose to do. You can find that at my website, www.spudfit.com. And uh, you can find lots of other information there too, like information about this podcast and blog posts and uh, everything else that I'm working on. Uh, If you like what I'm doing with this podcast or anything else I'm doing, then the best thing you can do for me is to share it with your friends. Like, subscribe, go to iTunes, leave a review, preferably five stars. (laughs) uh, That that helps. Um, Anyway, today... We are talking to Dustin Rudolph. Dustin's another guy that I met at the McDougal Advanced Study Weekend last month and I had the pleasure of hanging out with him for a couple of days and we went out for dinner and had lots of good chats and um, including this one that you're about to listen to. So uh, I'm a big fan of Dustin and I'm really uh, happy to be able to share him and his story with you guys on the podcast today. Uh, he has a book that you can also get uh called The Empty Medicine Cabinet. I'll put a link to that in the show notes on my website. Uh, It's The Pharmacist's Guide to the Hidden Danger of Drugs and the Healing Powers of Food. And that's really uh, a good introduction to what today's conversation is about. Dustin is the plant-based pharmacist. He is a qualified and has practiced pharmacy for a long time. And uh, he changed his ways he he went from believing that uh drugs were the be all and end all basically that you know if you got any problem then it's best treated and fixed with with drugs and now he's uh changed his ways and he now advocates for a whole food plant-based diet most of the time uh he thinks that drugs should basically be a last resort and i, I like that attitude it's uh, it's another person that i've talked to with a really refreshing attitude in that uh, they are actively campaigning against the things that they make money from. And he he's one of them. He's, he's someone who is a pharmacist who's hoping to put pharmacists out of business. So uh, it's really refreshing to talk to these kind of people. And, uh, and I had a great conversation. He's a, Dustin's a genuine, uh, lovely guy, beautiful person. And, uh, and really full of a lot of helpful advice and some really interesting insights as well into the pharmaceutical industry and, uh, and the science that goes into uh, producing uh, positive news for different drugs. So uh, this is a really eye-opening conversation for me and uh, I hope you enjoy it too. Oh, and before I go, uh, Mandy Van Zanen, my wife, made the... Uh, made the spud fit jingle you're about to listen to so thanks to mandy van zanen go to mandyvanzanen.com if you're interested in finding out more about andy all right hope you enjoy this 
uh, spot up. All right, we're here with Dustin Rudolph, another of my series of uh, podcasts from the McDougal Advanced Study Weekend. Uh, I actually got the had the pleasure and privilege of going out for dinner with Dustin last night too. So uh, this has been cool. Anyway, Dustin, welcome. Thank you for having me, Mr. Potato, Mr. <laughs> Spud Fit. No worries. Thank you for joining us. Can we start with the obvious question, who is Dustin Rudolph? Well, Dustin Rudolph, I am a, uh, I'm the plant-based pharmacist. I'm known as a plant-based pharmacist. I am actually a real pharmacist, a licensed pharmacist. I'm licensed in four states in the United States. Four in, states, wow. In Missouri, Florida, Texas, and Arizona, so I okay. can practice in any of those states. I currently reside in the Tampa Bay, Florida region, yeah. and I've been there since 2004. And I have worked in both retail pharmacy and in hospital pharmacy. And I'm currently in hospital pharmacy. I've been working in hospital pharmacy for about 10 and a half or 11 years. All right. That long. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize uh, it was that long. Yeah. I've been out of school since 2002. So yeah. I've got a good 15 years under my belt. Yeah. And uh, just uh, trucking along right here. Yeah. All right. That's, uh, I really enjoyed your speech, which is obviously why I wanted to, uh, to sit down and have this chat with you. But uh, before we get to the, the finer details of your talk, why did you become a pharmacist? You know, so it's kind of funny, Andrew. I was, I was in fourth grade, and I told people I wanted to become a pharmacist. And, you know, when people so ask... It's not your typical dream that a fourth grader no, has. <laughs> not at all. It was, it was funny because, you know, the, fourth, the, the little tiny squirts in fourth grade, you ask them, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? And, you know, most fourth graders, if they're, if they're a boy, they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to play baseball or yeah. I'm going to play football. I was going to play football when I was four. You were? Right in fourth grade, so you yeah. Like I was professional? A, I was definitely <laughs> going to be a professional footballer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, for some reason, that would, just wasn't on my radar. I didn't want to be a race car driver or astronaut or, you know, any of that. It's just, you know, I told people I was going to be a pharmacist. Yeah, right. Actually, I didn't tell them I was going to be a pharmacist. What I did is I told them, well, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be like Todd. Because I'm yeah. from a very small town in Montana. Uh, yeah. It's called Baker, Montana. It's a little bit closer to the mic. It's yeah. like... You can, um, you can lift it up a bit if you want. That might be easier. Yeah. Baker, Montana is actually like nine miles from the uh, border of North Dakota. So it's a very yeah. small town. There's only like, I don't know, 16, 1,800 people there when I was growing up. We had one stoplight, and it was just a red <laughs> blinking stoplight. It didn't yeah. even have a yellow or a green wow. on it. So... <laughs> Um, no chain stores, no McDonald's, no none of that. Yeah. No Walmart. So we had one physician in the whole town. Yeah. And he was obviously our family physician. And then we had two pharmacies owned yeah. by two separate pharmacists in the whole town. Yeah. And Todd was my family's pharmacist. Yeah. Okay. So I just always looked up to Todd and I said, yeah. you know, I'm going to be like Todd. He's All friendly right. and nice and. That's what Todd, I said. Todd sounds like a good bloke. He is. He's, he, I mean, to this day, like if I go back to uh, yeah. Montana, he's always asking me, hey, you want to buy a pharmacy? Because he's getting close to retirement, <laughs> you know? So yeah, yeah. I'm just like, no, no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you could turn it into a grocery store. Yeah, I could turn it into a, to a, like a, a farm, F-A-R-M yeah, assist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. So that's, yeah, it's nice that you got someone uh, so influential in your life that made you want to be like them i love that story so 
what when you first became a pharmacist were you did you have a goal in why you wanted to do that what you were hoping to achieve oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean i wanted to be a pharmacist because i wanted to help people and i wanted to help sick people get healthy and so that was really my whole goal todd doing that growing up todd was helping people in town to get healthy and you wanted to do that too that's cool exactly exactly all right so uh so there's a obviously there's going to be some sort of I assume some sort of difference between what you wanted to achieve and what you actually did achieve as a, a pharmacist. So right. How how did that go down for you? So I actually, I actually knew nothing about health yep. until like eight years into my career. Yeah. I know that sounds just crazy, but I went all the way through college and pharmacy school. And, you know, I spent $60,000 going through college, which is a bargain at these days. Yeah. yeah. But um, went through pharmacy school. I learned a lot about disease. I learned a lot about sickness. I learned a lot about medications. But I really learned absolutely nothing about health. Yeah. Which seems kind of counterintuitive if you're going to some kind of a medical education system. So Yeah, I've heard (laughs) all these sort of stories from doctors before, but uh, I've never really thought about pharmacy as you know as what what a pharmacist might study so yeah it's interesting yeah we actually we uh to to give you some details they it's very rigorous the the pharmacy Mm. program they actually put us through all the different modalities like cardiovascular and and cancer and oncology and um you know immunology and all these different specialties with the body and and these different sciences and these different classes and disease states and stuff so we actually have separate classes for all of them yeah. and we learn how the doctor diagnoses diagnoses their patient yeah um the abbreviated version obviously yeah, yeah. we don't get the the long version like the physicians do yeah. and then we get a a very longer version of how to manage I say manage because it's yeah. how to treat them, but it's really how to manage them because yeah. you're just managing their chronic disease. You're not really making them go from heart disease to no heart disease. You're yeah. just making them go from heart disease to taking a bunch of pills and managing their heart disease. Yeah, trying you know? to uh, stop them getting sicker rather than uh, make them better. Yeah, guess, exactly. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's basically you're trying to help them avoid death, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> um, and then I got out Prolong of school. Prolong the misery. Prolong the misery, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I, you know, I've always said that the longer a patient's prescription list and medication list, the more miserable and sick they yeah, are. And I've right. never seen anything other than that yeah, in my career. Yeah. Uh, so I got, out of, I got out of pharmacy school and, you know, I went in and practiced retail pharmacy. So I was the, the pharmacist behind the counter passing yeah. out the pills. Like Todd. Like Todd, like Todd, so (laughs) it had fulfilled my dream, (laughs) you know, and I was proud of like when somebody would come to me and say, oh, I've got this wrong with me or I've got this wrong or, you know, I can't poop or I, you know, I've got this rash on me and what what can you do? And I've always been very proud to say, well, I have a pill for that or I have a cream for that or whatever. And I was so proud of that. And I didn't realize that 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 was just a Band-Aid on the problem. Yeah. And. Um, it wasn't until like eight years into my career that, uh, this is kind of a funny story, but I went to my podiatrist Yeah. because I had, you know, I was on my feet for so many years and I had a little bit of nerve pain that was developing in my foot. And I went to my podiatrist for him to help me with my foot. And it was in 2009, actually it was exactly eight years ago this month. 
February right. of yeah. 2009. Yeah. I showed up in his office, and that was the the time in the USA where we had the health care debate, like the yeah. um, Obamacare or Affordable Care Act had oh, yeah. not passed yet. It was still being debated and argued yeah. and stuff. So there was this Time Magazine article in the waiting room, and it had a big... Uh, big uh, segment in it that was on the healthcare debate, the pros and cons of both sides. So I was reading it and I wasn't done uh, when they called me back into the exam room. So I took it with me and I would continue to read it in the exam room. And uh, Dr. Salvatore DeLellis, he's my podiatrist. He's a good friend now. Yeah. Okay. Um, everybody calls him Dr. Sal. <laughs> Dr. Sal walked into the room and he's like, uh, what you reading there, Dustin? And so I said, oh, it's just this Time Magazine article on the healthcare debate, you know, yeah. pros and cons of both sides. So both of us being medical guys and in the healthcare profession, yeah. we started talking about it and yeah. chit-chatting about it. And nice little discussion. And about, you know, two, three, five minutes into our conversation, he's, he stopped and he's like, well, you know, Dustin, it doesn't matter what they legislate in, in Congress. It's not going to fix the healthcare crisis. Yeah. And I'm just got the most puzzled look on my face. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's the whole point of this. Yeah, yeah. You know, to fix the problems that we have in our healthcare system. And he goes, no, it, it doesn't matter what law they pass or, or, or who's going to pay for what. We're not going to fix the healthcare crisis unless we have a nation full of healthy people. Yeah, yeah. And right then, it's a really interesting insight. Yeah. The light bulb went off. Yeah. And it's like, wow, this is a different way to look at this. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, what exactly do you mean by that? And he goes, well, hold on for a second. I'm going to go to my office. I'll be right back. So he yeah. leaves the exam room. He goes to his office. He comes back about a minute later. And he comes in, he has a piece of paper in his hand. And he hands me that piece of paper and he goes, this is my reading list. You know, I give it to uh, my patients, all my patients. And he goes, you should read the books, get the books on this list and read them. And so I responded to him. I was like, okay, now I'm a slow reader. Yeah. <laughs> so it takes me a while because I like to take everything in. Yeah. And sometimes I have to th read things over twice. I was about to say, that's what I do. So, I read through things and go, what was that? I don't get it. I'll go back and read again. And yeah, because yeah. you kind of like daydream yeah, and it's yeah. like, okay, I got to read this. Like it yeah, goes yeah. into my brain, you yeah, know? Yeah. So I told him, if I were to pick one of these four books to read, which one should I pick? And he goes, pick the China study oh, yeah. by Dr. T. Colin Campbell. That should be a mandatory reading for all medical students before they're allowed to graduate medical school. Yeah. And I was like, wow, if he's saying that, that must be one important book. Yeah. You know, so, so then I, I, from, from then on, I, I went home and I, I picked up a copy of the China study at the Barnes and Noble and read it and I was hooked. Yeah. I was hooked. It's a pretty amazing book. I remember that the first time I saw that book, I didn't read it. I thought, oh, I'm not interested in science. I'm just <laughs> leave that alone. Well, I was interested in science, but I wasn't interested in the science of nutrition at all. And so I left it alone. And That's and interesting because weren't you yeah. a personal trainer too? Uh, I, I had the qualification, but I never did it. Okay. Uh, I, I've got a degree in um, sports science. 
Because most people yeah. that kind of go down that route are are usually very interested in not only the exercise part, but the nutrition part. Yeah. Well, I was very interested in the exercise part, but didn't really care about the nutrition part. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, just, just eat, whatever. Who cares? Just eat. As long as you go, it's just fuel and it doesn't really matter what kind of fuel you put in, just put the fuel in and then you can, then you can go and train. But, uh, yeah, so I saw that book years and years ago and someone recommended it to me. I was like, nah, boring. I don't want to read about nutrition science. And then, uh, I didn't, I didn't end up reading it until I was researching to do my potato thing. And, uh, yeah, my mind was blown. What'd you think about it? It was amazing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, yeah, just an incredible story, if nothing else, just of this guy that grew up on a dairy farm and tried to prove, uh, tried to do research on how he could help uh, get animal protein to poor people, and how he just totally turned around his ideas from uh, from you know, what he started off thinking to what he thought at the end, and yeah, I just it was a really impressive book yeah i was i was so impressed because it's so evidence-based and like in medicine as a pharmacist and a a doctor and a a nurse and like all of us medical professionals we're taught to to we're we're taught with evidence-based medicine like they drill that into our head in school so that was all evidence-based and i was hooked yeah yeah absolutely and i've I've since read his other books too which uh oh whole holes very good very good Yeah, yeah 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 great book well, yeah. So that's that. That kickstarted you then. That book kickstarted the, the the change for you. Absolutely, that started me. And then another one of the second books on Dr. Sal's list was Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn in Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. Yeah, I read that one. And too. so yeah. then I read that one yeah. after that, and I can't remember what the other two books were, but I definitely picked up those. And then you know, yeah. and then I went on to like you know McDougal and Dr. Furman, and you've probably read um, the rest of the list now. Yeah, Dr. Barnard yeah. and like all those, yeah. all the thought leaders, all of our plant-based heroes. Yeah. you and I look up to. Yeah. Um, read all their books and and then I started looking up the studies like I'd look in their in their notes section on the back of the book and look mm. at the actual studies and look them up in PubMed yeah. and um and then I just went to town yeah yeah similar sort of reading journey to what I did I guess I, I read read the uh mine started with a YouTube video but then I went and found all the studies that were, that were in the YouTube video and then I went and found all the books and stuff as well and yeah it was uh it was a mind-blowing experience. Because obviously, if you're going to eat potatoes and that's it for a whole year, you want to make sure that something bad's not going to happen to yeah, your body, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. But mine was, like, it was probably only six weeks that I was doing my research for, I guess. But, I, yeah, it was hours every day. Yeah, it was a, it was yeah. a big deal, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, enough about me. This is all about you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, that was... Your, I guess that that experience with Doctor Sal was Sal, Doctor Sal. Doctor Sal. Yep. Sal was uh, the the beginning of your journey to becoming plant based eater and eat it. Sorry, learn to talk. A plant based eater yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I actually I tell people all the time that you know I went into my podiatrist to get my uh, foot fixed, and yeah. he ended up saving my life. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, what was the transition like for you then? So I, so that was in February of 2009. And as soon as I read the China study, I was like, okay, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to eat meat like red meat and and chicken and turkey anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of that. But I kept eating fish for a while, you know, because I thought that fish was a healthy food. Uh, Of course, many people think that. 
and you know it's been proven that it's not the best source of protein and yeah. and omega threes. But then I also, uh, you know, I slowly transitioned. I, I got rid of my cow's milk and I, I tried the rice milk and almond milk and soy yeah. milk and um, all those kind of milks. And I, you know, settled on almond milk. I like unsweetened original almond milk. Yeah. And then I, you know, got rid of uh, eating. I used to eat yogurt all the time and yeah. I kind of switched over to like a soy based yogurt. And I tried, I think, um, brown rice yogurt and, and that kind of stuff. Oh, I've never heard of brown rice yogurt. Yeah. yeah okay. And um, I think they make uh, yogurt out of almond milk as well. Oh, really? So it's oh, all different okay. varieties. I'm not, a, I'm not a yogurt guy, but I, I knew there was soy yogurt and I've heard of co- <coughs> sorry coconut yogurt too. Coconut yeah. yogurt, oh, yeah, yeah, out of coconut milk. And so I tried all those and, you know, now I don't eat yogurt at all. But yeah. when, you, when you have something that you eat for years and years and years and then you're like, okay, that's probably not the healthiest thing to eat what do yeah. i do now it's nice to have some kind of replacement to kind of get you over the hump yeah so that's kind of what i did and then it was probably mid-year in february or mid-year in 2009 i'm not sure exactly when but i ended up giving up fish because i started reading mm-hmm. more about that yep. and uh, the high fat content in fish and that it's uh, not the best for you and then it was january of 2010 and I had friends from Minnesota, my old college buddies, my old college friends that were down in Florida. Of course, it's winter in Minnesota. It's freezing yeah, up there. Yeah. So they're, they're visiting Florida. They were down about three, four hours south of me in Naples, Florida, at a condo. And they said, hey, come and visit us, you know. And they knew that I had switched how I ate. And so I went down there. And in January, it's NFL football season. And oh, yeah. football is huge in America. Yeah. So it's playoff time, and yeah. it's Sunday, Sunday NFL playoff time, and, and they're like, Dustin, do you still eat pizza? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I still eat pizza, but it has to be just cheese pizza. I won't eat any yeah. meat on my pizza. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to order pizza. Is that okay? I was like, sure. So it was a Domino's cheese pizza. Yeah. It was the last animal product I have, and after that, I, I, didn't, right. I gave up cheese, and that was it. No yeah, more right. animal products. Was there some sort of event that happened eating that pizza that made you think oh, i'm not going to do this anymore or was not it, really yeah. i just um at that point i was about a year into it yeah. and i was just like you know i've read enough i've looked at enough and i know that you know meat dairy and eggs are not healthy for you yeah uh, and it's all evidence-based in the scientific literature and it's just time it's yeah. just time to make that transition Fair enough and you can still have pizza anyway you just don't put cheese yeah on vegetable have, pizza yeah vegetable pizza they're great I've had a couple of them this year. <laughs> yeah, I have too. It's yeah. uh, it's a, it's one of my treats that I that I have. Yeah, yeah, and it's a pretty good treat if you're just having a wholemeal pizza base with veggies on top. Then exactly, yeah. just some tomato sauce and yeah. just pile on the veggies. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, this change that you went through, going from eating a, a standard sort of diet to a, a whole food plant based diet, is uh, it's changed. Obviously, it's a big change in the way you eat. But it also, for a lot of people, causes a big change in the way you think and the way that you see the world. So, yeah. did you? I'm guessing you went through that sort of. Oh my goodness! Too. Yes, yeah. completely changed how I viewed and perceived the world, because I was, I was like many people in in Western cultures. It's like you you see what's advertised and and thrown at you on the TV and the radio and and the uh, magazines and stuff, and you kind of have your blinders on because of all that. And it's not just with food, it's like with everything. 
So at that point, I was like, it completely made me think differently to always question. That yeah. I think that's what I got from it. Like, I always need to question everything yeah. that I see. I don't that's know a, if that's if a pretty it did common it for thing. you. Yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I was. Uh, it's a bit weird for me though. I was always. Uh, uh, there were there were areas in life that I always questioned, mm-hmm. and that I always felt critical about, but. Food wasn't one of them. And yeah. there were other things too. But yeah, this change in the way I ate uh, just basically made me, instead of just questioning, a, like a politically, um, I guess is what I'm talking about, I would always question motivations of politicians and, um, you know, the, the, uh, the influence of big business on politics and things like that. That was an area that I was um, very sceptical on and very, uh, very much into questioning the motivations behind all the political decisions that happened. But, uh, yeah, then, uh, yeah, this change in the way I ate and everything, it, it just sort of made me question all areas of life instead of just, you know, these narrow focus of a few things that I was a skeptic on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. And and that's a good point. Like I, I had known that politics was, you know, could be kind of shady, but, you know, I didn't really give it too much thought or look into it. And Mm. then, you know, I'm sure as you know, you start looking at who's supporting the politicians and why our systems are the way they are. And, and you're just like blown away once you start digging. Yeah. And you, and you have this realization that all this, (coughs) everything I thought I knew about food and what we should eat and what's a healthy diet has just been totally blown out the water what else have I been misled on? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So, so that uh, that obviously then had an effect on your practice as a pharmacist. So how did that happen? How did that go? Well, there? at this point, like it was about four and a half or five years into my career. Uh, so at that point, I had no idea about health and nutrition. Um, I had switched from retail to hospital. So I was already in the hospital sector of the industry working as a hospital pharmacist and it's a completely different world. So you're dealing with, uh, you're, you're more directly dealing with physicians and nurses instead of patients in the hospital setting. And you're dealing with the, the acute crisis as somebody comes in the emergency room with a heart attack or stroking or, you know, with a life threatening pneumonia or, um, from a car accident or whatever, you're dealing with that. So I was, feeling a little bit better about my career because I actually felt like I'm saving somebody from imminent death at that yeah. moment in their life. Um, but when, it, when I found out about this nutrition stuff, it, um, it really put in perspective like what my whole career as a pharmacist was. And, it, and I'm basically, I'm just a big Band-Aid to a problem still. Even, even working in a hospital, I can do a little bit of good, but I'm, I'm a big Band-Aid to my patients. So it was... It's, uh, it's not really, pharmacy is not really an environment where you can practice plant-based nutrition yeah. with patients and yeah, stuff. Yeah. I mean, I do share it with my colleagues, though yeah. the ones that I work closely with every day. Yeah. Um, they know all about this because yeah. I never stop talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> they probably yeah. get tired of me talking about it. But um, I've actually got, uh, I know one colleague in particular, another yeah. pharmacist that completely yeah. switched over to being plant-based yeah, because... Right. You know, she saw the evidence too. Yeah, all right. Well, that's cool. So you, you probably me as well, are uh, who that that joke about how do you know if someone's vegan? But don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> what? Yeah. What is it? No, I haven't heard no, that. No, no, that's that. That's it. How do you know if someone's vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Oh yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 
Anyway, you, when you when <laughs> you true. when you find something so exciting and so life changing and so good for you, of course you want to tell people about it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because so, you want to help them. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, and you want there's and you want to help improve the planet and improve the other thing. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's human nature. Um, so why is it? Do do you have? I'm guessing you do have thoughts on why it is that so many people take so many drugs. By drugs this time, I'm talking about pharmaceutical prescription drugs for whatever array of uh, illnesses people have. Well, in the Western world, we're we're brainwashed. And that's what it comes down to. Like, there's so much advertising and marketing going on, not only to the public, but Mm. to healthcare professionals. Yeah. And it completely distorts the truth of the matter and what we actually need to do to get people healthy and what we are doing to mm. quote get people healthy yeah and the big industry of big pharma and big agriculture uh the meat and the dairy and, yeah. and the big pharmaceutical companies they have so much money and they s- yeah, s- use that very wisely yeah we're probably talking about trillion dollar industries I, i'm guessing we're, we're combining all the all the big pharma companies and like, well, we, we spend we spend that. nearly four trillion dollars in the U.S. every single year on healthcare. Wow, I didn't. It's insane. I would have been thought it was a big number if you said one trillion. I, I was, yeah, that's why I said probably trillion dollar industries before I started. I didn't had no idea it was that big. That and is, that's not just the drug companies. I mean, that's healthcare. Yeah, yeah overall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but um, but that's insane. I mean, and it's just skyrocketing. It just continues to go up. And like, if if we're gonna keep spending more and more and more money, why are people continuing to be sick and miserable yeah and because we're not getting any healthier yeah it's so clear, it doesn't make yeah. any sense like you would you take your car to the mechanic and continue to spend more and more money and your car get worse and yeah. not, and not th- sit there and think like why am i taking my car to this mechanic who's not fixing it and i'm spending all this money yeah but we don't think that way yeah yeah you know and it's and it's disturbing actually it is yeah that's uh that mechanic analogy is a, a really good one. Yeah. It's uh it's crazy how much uh how much time and effort and money we we put into uh trying to just uh prolong the misery. Like yeah, I and the typical before. patient yeah. will go to their doctor and they'll have a medical problem, maybe heart heart disease or you know, high cholesterol, blood pressure, high blood sugar, whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, they have all the faith in the world and their doctor and, you know, doctors are looked at as, you know, kind of godlike figures that they went to all this schooling and training and, and good, good meaning on their part to really help people. Yeah, of course, none um, of these people get into it to try to do the wrong thing. Like right. people become doctors and nurses and pharmacists and scientists and all of these related professions because they want it that well one they enjoy it but also two they, they want to try to help people to make a difference no one's no one gets out sets out to try to do things that cause harm i'm sure of that exactly yeah. like just like i talked about earlier mm. like the whole reason i got into healthcare and wanted to be a pharmacist because i wanted to help people yeah and so you know you have these patients who come with all these medical problems to their doctor and their pharmacist and whatnot and and the only thing that they're offered mm. is pills procedures and surgeries yeah and it's like not even questioned by the patient yeah, because yeah. we're brainwashed and we don't think to yeah. even ask different questions yeah and um it's all the doctor and the pharmacist know because yeah. that's what we've been taught in school 
Yeah, you know, it just reminded me of uh, an experience I had a few years ago now, which I haven't thought about for a long time. But I went to see a doctor uh, when I was living in Holland, actually. I had an earache. And, uh, and I went to see the doctor and said, hey, I've got this earache. And she looked in my ear. She got these tweezers and pulled out this big clump of stuff. It was pretty gross, but <laughs> maybe it was like earwax or something that had built up on the inside of my ear. So when you clean your ear, you don't get the stuff that's right on the inside. I'm sure it's not something you wanted to save and put on the on the no, no. bedroom <laughs> counter there. No, no, no. But it was it was pretty gross, and it was way bigger than I thought something could be to fit in your ear. But anyway, <laughs> there's a point to this story that um, that fixed it. My earache was gone, and and um. I just remember when I was leaving, I, I thanked her because I, suddenly I felt great. And she thanked me because she's like, you know, I don't, as a doctor, I don't normally get to see myself fixing people. Yeah, it's like, weird, huh? <laughs> yeah, people come in and I give them pills and then they come back later and they're still sick. And I've actually fixed someone today. So this is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that well, I can was, tell you, like, from yeah. a healthcare practitioner standpoint, like the most fulfilling, the the most fulfilling thing in the world is not to get your paycheck every two weeks. Yeah, it's to see somebody else's life change in a positive manner, and and them going from sick to healthy and getting their life back. Yeah, that's the best feeling ever. Yeah, and it yeah. rarely no ever doubt. happens in conventional medicine. Yeah, and I mean not to say it doesn't. We need we have accidents and we have you know, the crisis at hand because people don't eat right and they get the heart mm. attack. But, you know, so we are able to s help people to a small extent, mm. but for the most part, you know, uh, we don't get that on a daily basis and it's not a fun experience for the physician or the pharmacist or the nurse or yeah. any other health care practitioner either. Yeah. And I, I can relate to that feeling of helping people now because, because I've had <coughs> quite a few people tell me that they've, they've been helped by uh, eating only potatoes and following my example so i can definitely relate to that how, it's like the best how feeling isn't that, it oh it's such a just an amazing feeling yeah absolutely um but you mentioned you touched on drug advertising before and this is something that's been mind-blowing these last few days that i've been in the u.s is i uh, i don't watch much tv but i i have i don't actually own a tv at home oh wow so uh having a tv in my hotel room it's sort of a novelty i'll turn the tv on and see what's going on and uh, seeing the drug advertising is, has been a mind-blowing and scary experience for me because in Australia, it's, they're not, prescription drugs are not allowed to be advertised in any form. Well, they're probably allowed to be advertised in doctor's magazines and things like that, I guess, but the general public never sees advertising of prescription drugs. So to turn on the TV and see these big long ads for prescription drugs where they're trying to actively sell it to people. So you go to your doctor and ask for this prescription uh, is quite scary. And especially to see the, the, like I saw an ad, I can't remember what it was for, but like the whole second half of the ad was the guy reading a list of the possible side effects. And like obviously people are buying it because they're advertising it and they wouldn't have the money to advertise if people weren't buying it. And it just blows my mind that someone can sit there and listen to this massive list that takes up half of the commercial break of things that might go wrong with you <laughs> yeah. and they still go and buy it. Like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. what, what do you think of this drug advertising <laughs> thing? Like how, I just, it's totally insane to me. Well, first of all, Andrew, 
I'm totally jealous because yeah. I wish I lived in a country that didn't allow direct to consumer advertising on prescription drugs because it, it's just a bunch of nonsense what's yeah. going on. I mean, well, you I, can, they, they, they do advertise like if you've, if you've got like a, a sniffle or something, they advertise like these nasal sprays and something these, over the counter. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. These things that can, you know, help you with a sore throat and those sorts of things. And like, you know, mild pain relievers like Panadol and things, they do advertise those things. But the attitude is that if you're going to take prescription drugs, you should be taking them because your doctor said it was a good idea, not because you saw it on TV and gone to ask for it. Like, Right. I mean, what's sad is we're basically, we're advertising prescription drugs in the US and I think in New Zealand they can do this too. But like you said, like in Australia and a lot of other countries, even in the Western world, they're not... it's illegal to advertise prescription drugs to the direct public, but we're basically taking and advertising these prescription powerful medications to patients and, and the lay public like they're sneakers or yeah. cars or, <laughs> you know, like doodads or something yeah. to buy for the home. And it's like, you're, you know, you're dealing with people's lives here and, yeah. Uh, you know, just to uh, advertise that they can go to their doctor and ask for how many umpteen million different meds that they need for every little thing that's wrong with them. That's the other thing they go, you know, do you feel tired? Are you, are you overweight? Like, do you, do, <laughs> of course, like most people are, feel like that on a daily basis. So yeah. they get people thinking like, oh, now well, I have something, um, some kind of major problem, medical problem with myself. So yeah. now I have to go to the doctor and ask for this medication to fix my problem. But then, like you said, there's side effects. And you notice how they like talk about the side effects and they say it really fast, right? Yeah, the end, yeah. Like in kind of lower voice. Yeah. And, and then they rattled off like it's an auction or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they have this, they start out the, the, drug, com- or the, uh, the drug commercial with like uh, soothing music or, yeah. or fun music. And they like say, you know, this pill can reduce your risk of heart attacks or whatever by 30 or 40 or 50%. And they make it all sound glamorous. Mm. And then in really fast language, they say, Oh, or it can cause like bleeding and death and kidney yeah. failure and all this stuff. Yeah. And you know, they have to say those things because those things actually happen to people Yeah. in trials. Yeah. I so, like what, uh, I read, uh, what T. Colin Campbell said about the <coughs> side effects. He has this saying that there, there's no such thing as side effects, only effects. That is so true. It's just that there are, there are some effects that you want and some that you don't, but they're all just effects. That's yeah. exactly <laughs> true. That's exactly, yeah. you're putting a chemical into your body and it's going to do something, good yeah. or bad, um, to your body. Yeah. It's, so. Yeah, this is mind-blowing. What, what, do we, what do we do about it then? Well, it it starts with you and me, yeah. you know, I mean, we are the ones that are out there that have done our homework and, and done the digging and found the evidence and the truth. And we just need to educate people yeah. because it's not going to start from the top of the big pharma companies and, yeah. and trickle down. Yeah. It's not going to start from the politicians and trickle down because they get paid off and yeah. lobbying and special interest money from the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. So it's really going to have to start from the ground up. It's yeah. going to have to start from um, patients and people learning how to eat different yeah. and going to their doctor and going, not going, hey, I want this pill because on TV I saw this thing that, and I mm. think I have this problem, so can I have this pill? Yeah. But going to their doctor and say, 
hey, you know, I understand, you know, my blood pressure is high, my cholesterol is high. Teach me how to eat yeah. and live my life so I can make this go away. Yeah. That's how it starts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if you look through history, every, every uh, big societal change has come from the population, not from the people in power. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So every kind of revolution yeah. and, and oh, we need a plant-based revolution right now. So. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. We're on the cusp, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. All right. So we're talking a, bit, a little bit about big pharma, these huge mind blowingly big industries. Uh, and they obviously have an imp- influence on society through the way they advertise and the drugs they push and all of that. How do you think they influence the science though? Because there's no doubt that they, they do influence the science, but how does that happen? Well, there's, you know, all these drugs and uh, surgeries or procedures or whatever, they all have to get approved, at least in the U.S. I don't know how Australia works, but we have a governing body called the FDA and they have to, these drugs have to be approved by the FDA and deemed quote safe and and effective. FDA's Food and Drug Administration? Food and Drug Administration. Yeah. And they have to be deemed, quote, safe and effective, whatever that means, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can see what's going on. Yeah. But safe and effective before they're allowed on the market to be sold to the general public. So these drug companies will initially start off and they'll usually fund their own trials yeah. and do their own trials on their own drug to see how quote, safe and effective it is. So that's a problem in itself, <clears throat> funding their own trials and doing their own Conflict trials. of interest yeah, yeah. right there. So, th- I mean, they're, they're paying for something to go to a governing body to get approved and they're paying for it with their own money. And if it gets approved, then they can turn around and sell it for millions and billions of dollars. Yeah. So I have absolutely, it's a conflict of interest. So it's not to say that their trials are completely worthless because they're not. They do tell us things. Yeah. But I always take it with a grain of salt knowing that if it's funded by the drug company they're probably going to maybe design the study so it's a little bit more favorable for the drug or sometimes and this has been shown by a release of public records i mean dr michael greger has done this he's requested legally to have published trials released and data released from the drug companies that they literally just shove underneath the rug and they mm. hide because it was a negative result. Oh, okay. So they just won't. There's a lot of unpublished data from the drug companies oh, that just gets shoved aside. I don't doesn't know why even make I haven't it. thought of that. I just, I guess I just assume that every study that gets done gets published. No, no. Wow, in fact, okay. if you, Dr. Ben Goldacre is a, a phys, is a doctor over in, um, I think the UK or Europe somewhere. And if you look up his name and Google his name and look up drug studies, he goes in depth on this subject on yeah. how the drug companies are hiding a lot of the data that's negative because yeah. they don't want their drug to look negative. Yeah, of course. That's so they just kind of hide it and then they, they, put, they put out the positive results and they make themselves look good. That's actually terrifying. It is. So that's another problem. Yeah, that, yeah that's... Um, my, I don't know why I haven't thought of that before or heard of that, but that's, that is genuinely terrifying that they're keeping important information from us yeah because we should yeah. be able to know every like all the studies and like how the whole picture looks yeah and so there are studies out there that are not funded by the drug companies and maybe they're find it funded by you know the government uh but the, the research and, and scientific part of the government the yeah. nih in the u.s or maybe they're funded by a private organization that 
is not a drug company, doesn't yeah. have anything to do with the drug. And those are those I take those a little bit more seriously yeah. because obviously there's not that conflict of interest. Yeah. And um and you can see if there's different results or maybe it's the same results as the drug company and maybe that is really the truth on how these drugs yeah, work. Yeah. yeah, well there has to be well not there has to be. There is. There are drugs that are useful and important and uh and yeah, there are drugs that we do need to to use for for various reasons so of course we're, we're not here to just say drugs are just bad blanket ban on drugs but uh yeah we just we need a little bit of perspective here exactly and, and maybe we don't get that and yeah i was already feeling negative about the pharmaceutical industry before we started <laughs> talking but now even more so <laughs> well there's yeah. just to let you and your followers know there's in the u.s we dispense on average, 13 pills, a little bit over 13 pills for every man, woman, and child in the U.S. per year. Really? And I don't take any prescription drugs that on a regular amazing. basis. So, I mean, somebody else has got mine. Yeah. You know. So, yeah, people are taking handfuls of drugs. A lot of medications. Wow. A lot what of medications. The, what a depressing stat. Um, so, another, thi- another thing I found really interesting... Uh, from your talk the other day was you talked about how uh, in science, how they play with the numbers and I can't remember the exact term. It was absolute... Uh, and relative risk uh, reduction. Absolute and relative risk reductions. Yeah. So can you talk us through that? Absolutely. So this is a really, really, really important topic and people need to understand this. And, you know, sometimes healthcare professionals don't even understand it or they've, you know, forgot how to look through this and calculate this stuff but it's it's very important it's, it has to do with how the statistics are reported in the medical literature and what yep. is reported like in the in the US on advertisements on TV and in the radio and in the magazine articles so let's say for example <coughs> that um I'm Dustin I'm going to make this drug and I'm going to make this drug to help heart disease yeah. And so let's call it drug X. Okay, so what I need to do as uh, my own company making this drug is you know, I need to do trials to submit to the FDA like we talked about yeah. and to prove that it's safe and effective. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to recruit people to be in my trial and be guinea pigs, basically. And let's say I take 200 people. And I'm going to split them up into two groups. And then I'm going to give you know, a group of 100 people, drug X, the one I invented, and the other group of 100, I'm going to give just a placebo pill, a sugar pill that doesn't do anything. And then I'm going to follow these people with heart disease for, you know, three, four, five years, whatever it is, a year. And I'm going to see, you know, uh, hopefully my end goal is to help people avoid death from heart disease. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one that thing. That should be the end goal. That should be the end yeah. goal. Now, and for a lot of people, like I said earlier, for a lot of people, probably a lot of the scientists involved, that is the end goal. But yeah, I mean, yeah. if I'm a patient, yeah. I don't want to die yeah. and I don't want to have some kind of major problem like a stroke and then I can't talk for the rest yeah. of my life. Yeah. You know, that, that's, if I'm going to take a pill, 
I want to make sure I'm taking the pill so that helps me avoid that. Yeah. And, and, and no doubt there are people in the industry that that's also what they want. There's not, there's not just an industry totally full of people that are just trying to take your money. Right. But yeah. But there, obviously there is that element. Though. And I know yeah. that probably most people that work for the pharmaceutical companies on the, you know, uh, on their, their end of the deal, they probably really feel like they're helping people. Yeah, yeah, of course um, they do. So uh, one thing that we do get kind of sidetracked is instead of with these trials, how they set them up, instead of looking at maybe who avoids death by taking the medication, yeah. they look at, well, how many points can we lower your blood pressure? Yeah. Well, you know what I say? Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Who cares if we lower your blood pressure by five points and, and you still die of heart disease? Yeah, yeah. You know, what I care yeah, about that's a really is good point. not dying from heart disease. Yeah. And I think that's what the patients care about. Yeah. So back to our example. Yeah, sorry. So if I have 100 people in each group and, they, and I'm going to give them the drug and then the other group I'm going to give placebo and then I'm going to follow them, so say, like five years and then I'm going to see who dies in each group from heart disease. And let's say in the drug group, only two out of the 100 people die from heart disease. And in the placebo group, the sugar pill group, four people out of 100 die from heart disease. So I always ask this question in my presentations, did the drug work? Yeah. Yes, it did work because less people in the drug group died from heart disease. So obviously the drug worked. Now here's how the statistics are reported. On TV in America, at least, yeah. That'll be reported as a 50% reduction in heart uh, in heart disease death. Yeah. <laughs> now, how did they get that 50%? Yeah, yeah. it's obviously so a weird number. Yeah. <laughs> is two half of four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, two is half. That's simple algebra, you know, a simple, you know, division and, and multiplication yeah. that's easy. Two is yeah. half of four. Yeah. And so that's a 50% reduction yeah. in heart disease death. But was there more than six people in the study? <laughs> of course yeah. there was. Yeah, yeah. There was 200 people in the study. So if you just forget about the other 194 people, <laughs> there was really only, there was really a 50% reduction yeah. in heart disease death. Uh, if so it, If it wasn't so scary, it would be funny. It would, it would. <laughs> so let me explain this to you in yeah. a different terms. Yeah. So that's called relative risk reduction. Yeah. That's a wildly outrageous high number that is is it is wrongfully inflated yeah so absolute risk reduction this is a different term this takes into account all 200 people in this study yeah. who either took the drug or the placebo and that's what i want to know yeah like if you have two pe 200 people in a study and everybody gets a pill one that's a drug and one that's not then how did everybody fare yeah and to look at that in our drug group, it was two out of 100 that died of heart disease. So that's 2% of the people, right? Yeah. In our placebo group, it was four out of 100 that died from heart disease. So that's 4%. Yeah. So really, if you take everybody in the study, you really only went from 4% of people dying to 2% of people dying yeah. in the study. So you really only reduce the amount of deaths overall by 2% yeah. by taking this drug. Yeah. See how much of a difference yeah. that is? You yeah. can either, you have the same study, yeah. And you could go and you could tell a patient or a doctor or people on TV that this drug reduced heart disease death by 50% or you could tell a people that it reduced heart disease death by 2%. Yeah. And you it's the same study. And and both are technically the truth. <clears throat> both are technically yeah. the it truth could, depending could, on how yeah. you it could, yeah. or I shouldn't say 
the te- both could be argued that it's the truth. It's the truth. Yeah. It, depending on how you, yeah. you know, finagled the numbers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... Jesus. And, and for a layperson such as me, who knew none of this before I heard you talk, it, it's... Uh, how can you be expected to know that? If no one's told you, how can you be expected to know that this is... Well, you're not going to know yeah. that. I yeah. mean, the people in the general public are not going to know. Yeah, and so even so a lot we're being of my, tricked, basically. We're being tricked. I call yeah. it. I call it at best. I call it distorting the truth, and but at worst, I just, I just call it lying. Yeah, we're being lied to. You yeah. know, I don't think that's as appropriate to to go over relative risk reduction in a TV commercial when we should be talking about absolute risk reduction yeah absolutely 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 (laughs) absolutely absolutely (laughs) uh so let's go let's let's move on a bit and talk about uh some specific diseases then so okay you know we obviously a a big one in australia as well as in america is diabetes Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people with diabetes and there's a lot of people taking a lot of drugs for diabetes uh so what what should we do? Uh, are we well, on the right track at all with our medication? Or when we talk it, yeah. about diabetes, I like to break it up because type one diabetes is a is an autoimmune disease. Yeah, good point. And yep. that is a disease that absolutely requires insulin for those yep. patients because what happens in those patients is uh, somewhere in their youth, their body has attacked their pancreas, the cells in their the beta cells in their pancreas that yep. are responsible for producing insulin naturally in the body. Yep. And they've completely destroyed them permanently. Yeah. So those people cannot produce insulin, and you have to have insulin in your body yeah. Yeah. to live and yeah. uh, and to process glucose. Yeah. So for so the purpose of this discussion, <clears throat> when we say diabetes, we're referring to type two diabetes. Right. Yeah. Okay. So type two diabetes is is comes later in life, and that's due to what you eat. Yeah. And that's a dietary disease. It's a hundred percent dietary disease. Yeah. And people get that because they eat a rich Western diet of animal foods and processed foods and oils and all those fats. And, and a lot of people think that, Oh, well, sugar causes diabetes, you know, yeah. cause it's all about blood sugar. No, that's not the truth. So there's three things that go along with the cause of type two diabetes and one is insulin resistance which we're really good at talking about in in the public and in the, yeah. the in most the, people i reckon well maybe it's just because i'm in that sort of world now but i feel like most people would have at least heard of the term insulin at resistance. least heard of it yeah so just basically insulin resistant means that your body's cells don't respond to insulin like they should so that's not able to process the carbohydrates that are broken down into simple glucose molecules so you know, those glucose molecules stay high in your bloodstream and then you have high blood sugar levels and your quote, you know, diabetes, yeah. you know, type two diabetes. So that's, that's one aspect that most people know. And, but th- the conversation stops there and, and even in the medical education system, the conversation stops there and it shouldn't because the cause, the root cause of insulin resistance, insulin resistance is these increased little particles of fat that are inside the muscle cells. Yeah. And those are, everybody has them. They're normal. They're called intramyocellular lipids. Yeah. And there's little pieces, particles of fat that are stored in your muscle cells. And the reason they're stored there is because you don't eat 24-7. Yeah. So in between meals and when you're fasting, you're going to need some sort of energy. So they're kind of reserves. So if it's already at the muscle, it's easy for your body to just get it, put it in your muscle and use it. 
right? Right. I mean, yeah, we store fat excite, in yeah. fat cells, and then we store a little bit of fat in our muscle cells. Yeah, yeah. And there's these these little bit of fat that's in our muscle cells is normal for yeah. people like you and I that are healthy, but for people with type two diabetes, they have a whole excess of these intramyocellular lipids, yeah. all this extra fat in their muscle cells that's yeah. clogging up the system. Yeah. And basically what that does to the body is it prohibits insulin from acting on the muscle cell to let the glucose from the blood into the muscle cell so that that glucose yeah. can be used to make fuel. Okay. And so if you can't get the glucose from the blood into the muscle cell, it stays in the blood and your blood sugar rises. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And so what do the drugs do then? How do they... So the drugs them? will try to make the pancreas make more insulin. Ah, okay. Um, but that's not the problem. It's the fat in the muscle cells. Yeah, yeah. The drugs will try to maybe increase the sensitivity of the insulin attaching to the receptor on the muscle yeah. cell. Well, that'll help a little bit, but they still have all this fat clogging up the system. Yeah. It's not going to fix the problem. So if, the, you can't open, <clears throat> if you can't open the door to the cell for the glucose to get in. If you can't open the door with a key, let's go and get a sledgehammer. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we're trying to work a way around it, but yeah. the, obviously the drugs don't work very well yeah, because yeah. the people stay diabetic. They do, yeah. And, yeah. and one thing that I talked about in my talk is, you know, w one of the new classes of drugs, that just helps your kidneys filter out glucose so you can pee it out. So you have all this yeah. extra glucose in your blood, so let's just give them a drug to pee it out. Well, the yeah. problem with that is... First of all, the absolute risk reduction number on those drugs is like one, one and a half percent. Yeah. That people are going to avoid some kind of complication or death yeah. from, from diabetes. So pretty low. So yeah. you get very little benefit from it. And then two, glucose should never, ever, ever, ever be in your urine. Yeah. So the, the body's kidneys and the body is very brilliant. And we don't want to waste fuel. Just like when you put fuel in your gas tank in your car. You don't want to put fuel in your gas tank and then have a leak out the side. Yeah. And just like we don't want to put glucose, which is fuel for our body, into our pee and just pee it out. Yeah. So the body's kidneys for normal healthy people will um, reabsorb all that glucose back into the bloodstream. It yeah. gets filtered out in the kidneys in, in the initial state, in the initial part of filtering our yeah. blood. And it wants to keep that to make energy. Well, these drugs make it so our kidneys don't do that very good yeah. and so that it keeps keeps the uh, glucose being filtered so we mm. just pee it out. So you just made me think when, when you said that the drugs make our kidneys stop doing that very well. That we're, so effectively we are taking a drug that makes our body work worse. Like it makes our body work the opposite of how it was designed to work. Yeah, it's d and the drug is designed to impair our kidney function. But we get Wait. a 1% benefit yeah. from avoiding, <laughs> <laughs> avoiding death with yeah. diabetes. So, you know. so then the other thing with that is drugs always come with side effects. Yeah. And the side effects of these drugs that make your kidneys do that and make you pee out glucose is that now you have an environment in your bladder and your, and your ureters that's warm, wet, and has glucose, which is food. Yeah. Guess what likes warm, wet, and lots of food? bacteria, fungi, yeast. Oh, okay. So you get so UTIs get and yep. urinary tract infections, fungal infections. Yeah. Up I'm to up to 18% of people will get that. Yeah, right. Uh, that's I'm learning. I'm I'm always learning here. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, heart disease. 
What about heart disease? So heart we, disease is a... People take all sorts of drugs for heart disease. It's our biggest killer. Coronary yeah, heart yeah. disease, which is the plaques that end up clogging up our coronary arteries around our, our heart, that's a dietary disease. Just like diabetes, it's a, it's a dietary disease, except for like one in, I think, 500 people truly have a genetic defect and can't process and get rid of excess cholesterol like their body should because they have yeah. a mutation in their DNA, but... For the most part, for the other 499 out of 500 people, yeah. it's what you eat. Yeah. And um, so we eat all these rich Western foods, these meat, dairy, eggs, processed foods, oils, all this stuff that clogs up and puts fat and cholesterol into our arteries. And then they clog up and we get a heart attack or we get chest pain or we get some kind of crisis that happens and causes heart problems. And if you have a heart attack, it can um, kill part of your mu and, and cause death and part of your muscle in your heart and then that part of the heart doesn't pump as well and eventually if you have these over time um, especially multiple ones your heart just gets tired and you develop congestive heart failure yeah and um, you can develop arrhythmias as well so you know if we just eat correctly if we just eat the plant-based the low-fat plant-based, healthy, whole, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes. We eat those foods. We don't clog up the system in the first place. And we yeah. have nice and clean arteries, and, and we don't have any problems. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I've, I've read also about reversing heart disease. So, yes. yeah, that, that same diet does the same thing? Dr. Esselstyn and yeah. Dr. Dean Ornish prove that, that yeah. you can take this diet with this whole foods, plant-based, uh, you know, nutrition, and f feed that to people and not only halt and prevent heart disease, but actually see a reversal of all these plaques in their coronary yeah. arteries. And they, they've seen it on coronary angiograms where they put the dye into the patient's yeah. veins and, and arteries and they, they look at it with, you know, in an in a, in a angio, angiogram and they can see the vessels opening up after people eat this way, after just literally a matter of weeks or months. Yeah, so much better than drugs. Eh? <laughs> it is. It so, is. Because so the drugs, I'll mention the drugs like yep. statins. Yep. Um, everybody's probably heard of statins because they lower cholesterol. And yep. you would think that that would be good because less cholesterol, less clogged arteries. Well, the absolute risk reduction number on statins is anywhere from about half to one and a half percent. Avoiding, avoiding death and avoiding future heart attacks and strokes. Wow. Okay. I thought that was actually one of the one of the drugs that are, you know, sort one of, of the better ones. Yeah, one of the better ones. One yeah. That's effective. It's yeah. it's definitely marketed like that and yeah. used like that, but you get about a half to one and a half percent chance yeah, of right. of avoiding some kind of crisis or death with yeah. with those. And in addition to that, you like all all drugs have effects, as you yeah, yeah. called them. So you get a 2% chance of developing diabetes from taking yeah. this statin. Yeah. And you get a 10% chance of having some kind of muscle pain, muscle weakness, some kind of uh, muscle uh, damage to your, to your body by taking yeah. statins. So the risks are actually worse More than, the, than the benefits. Yeah. <laughs> so if you just eat well, you don't yeah. need them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how, what, what time do you have to go? How long have you got? I've got... Um, Probably uh, f uh, 15, 30 minutes. Okay, no worries. I, I could talk all day, but let's... Uh, yeah, me too, <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's just make sure you, we don't uh, make you miss your plane. <laughs> yeah. All right, so 
Uh, cholesterol. There's a lot of people on cholesterol-lowering drugs. Yes. Um, I know what happened to my cholesterol uh, over last year when I when I started eating only potatoes. My cholesterol wasn't wasn't terrible to begin with, but it wasn't good either. But what 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 are your thoughts on cholesterol drugs and how to improve that? Well, we talked about the statins, and then you know there's other drugs like uh, Zadia, which is um, ezetimibe, and that that's a drug that basically tells your your gut not to absorb the cholesterol from the food that you eat. Um, but then the side effects with that are GI related. So you get some, you know, n- nausea and, and upset stomach and are, uh, maybe some diarrhea and, and those kind of problems. Um, but if you didn't put the cholesterol there in the first place, then you wouldn't have to worry about absorbing it into your mm. bloodstream. And there's, a, and I want to point this out to people, plant foods, contain no measurable amount of cholesterol. Yeah. Animal foods all have cholesterol. So if you're just eating healthy whole plant foods, mm-hmm. you're not even getting any cholesterol. Yeah. So th- that's a bonus right there. I had a, an email from, I won't say her name, but a very prominent uh, low-carb person in Australia. Uh, and she was uh, telling me that I, uh, it's dangerous to have no cholesterol as I did with my potato thing because... Uh, I cholesterol's I can't remember exactly what she said but she's talking about how important it is and how uh, it's the building blocks of all these different parts of our body and I, I think she was talking about how it's great for brain function and all of this and um, yeah she was she was uh, trying to scare me I think well, first but uh, anyway so w- what, what would you say to those sorts of arguments I would say first of all um you're obviously dead and in a coffin, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you're standing yeah, yeah. right in front of me talking to me. And yeah. obviously that, yeah, funny. She that said, didn't work yeah. for you. <laughs> she said, oh, you can do without it for uh, a short period of time, but in the long term, it's going to be really bad. And I, I was like, well, it's been a year. Yeah. Uh, how long do I have to go before you say this is long enough? <laughs> but anyway, so. Well, to, to her point and her credit, actually cholesterol is important in the body. And yeah. it, it is used, you know, to make hormones and, and to help with body functions. It's part of, um, uh, you know, it's, it helps to make uh, uh, steroid hormones, uh, ra- normal produced hormones in the body that we need. But the body makes all the cholesterol on its own naturally to fulfill all those requ- human requirements yeah. on, on a regular basis. So you don't need to put cholesterol from food into your body. Um, you know, when we do that, then we turn around and we take pills that try to take cholesterol out of our bloodstream. So it's like, that doesn't even make sense that we're putting it in there in the first place. And And again, you're taking something that's designed to impair your function of your body in some way, which is something I never thought about until you, um, until this conversation right now, I've always thought these drugs are designed to enhance the way our body functions some way, but most of the time it seems like correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like they're designed in some way to impair some sort of body function and stop your body from doing what it's supposed to do. And somehow that's supposed to make us better. <laughs> exactly. We're putting yeah. a chemical into our body to alter the way that our body naturally functions because we have abused our body with the wrong kinds of foods. So now we're trying to make up for it and put this chemical in our body to make our body do things it doesn't normally do. Yeah. And it just doesn't really make any sense to me. Yeah, you know? yeah. It doesn't. And if you impair on purpose your, your, the function of your body, of, of course it's not going to just be impaired in only one very small specific exactly. way. 
That's why you have side effects. Yeah. That's why you have side effects. So even if there's some magic pill that eventually comes out to treat 10 different diseases at once someday, there's always going to be side effects. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Right. I'm, uh, I'm struggling to take all this in now. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah. Anyway, we could talk about lots of different diseases. So maybe I'll, uh, I've got a list here, but I'll, I'll just cut to one that's very important for me. And in my history with depression, mm-hmm. and you know, we do treat depression with drugs. Uh, there's a lot of different drugs for treating depression. Um, yeah, well, what are your thoughts on that? Um, the, you're, you're, so you're talking about the psychotropic drugs, the antidepressants, the anti-anxiety yeah. agents, yeah. the um, you know those type of drugs. Those are called the psychotropic drugs, and they include like the SSRIs, uh, Zoloft, Paxil, you know, so Prozac. SSRI, SSRIs are the serotonin reuptake inhibitors. inhibitors. That's the yeah. only one I've ever heard of. really heard of be- okay. because I was prescribed that. Yeah, yeah. and then there's, um, you know, there's other drugs like the benzodiazepines are anti-anxiety, and um, there's other antidepressants that work on norepinephrine and dopamine in the system, you know, yeah. Wellbutrin and there's uh, uh, stuff like Boost Bar, which is an anti-anxiety agent. There's um, Effexor, which is an antidepressant. And so there's all these different drugs that we use to target different chemicals in our brain. And honestly, I think it's the most dangerous class of medications on the market okay. because um, this is actually specifically what Dr. Ben Goldacre talks about how the drug companies had made these drugs and they've hidden a lot of the studies because they keep them unpublished mm. in a lot of these studies that's been really been shown that the, there is no benefit to taking these drugs to getting started on them for most people that have some kind of depression or anxiety disorder. And if you were to just go and you look at studies that compare drugs to cognitive th- uh, behavior therapy, which is you know a form of counseling from a psychologist or something, or a mental health counselor, yeah. that they fare equally just as well as each other. Now, I've never heard of somebody getting uh, permanent tics, which can happen on psychotropic drugs, yeah. or having suicidal thoughts, which can be caused by psychotropic drugs. Yeah. Um, when they go to their counselor and they have a session and they come out. Yeah. Like those kind of side effects just yeah. don't happen. <laughs> it's always positive things, yeah. you know? So while maybe they're shown in studies, at least the published ones, because there's a lot of unpublished ones, that they're equal in efficacy to the just regular counseling, you have all the side effects to deal with too. And yeah. then these drugs actually, when you get on them and you're on them for an extended period of time, even though they're not supposed to be addictive, they cause dependency. Yeah. Even though they're not like a hardcore morphine or something that you would think typically would cause addiction and dependency and that when you go off of that, you're going to have all these withdrawal symptoms. People get withdrawal symptoms on these psychotropic medication. When they try to go off their antidepressants, they just go off them cold turkey they're going to go crazy. They're going to be anxious and stressed and irritable and depressed and, and they're going to have uh, suicidal thoughts and all yeah. these things can happen. And, and it's a withdrawal period and it's very devastating to yeah. patients who go through this. So it's not something that if you're on these, you don't stop them without working with your doctor and yeah. trying to, I would say, get some counseling. Um, <clears throat> there's also some other things that can help 
people. Um, there's uh, like electroconvulsive therapy that helps mostly just short term where you're kind of inducing many little seizures on the, on the body. Yeah. But then, you know, um, it's certainly not as safe as counseling, yeah, just going yeah. to a psychologist and getting counseling. Yeah. But are there's there, are there any kind of antidepressant drugs that there must be situations where you probably should be on. So I've seen it? situations a couple times in my career where yeah. maybe you have a schizophrenic. I've seen a schizophrenic okay. that, yeah. <coughs> excuse me, has been put on these psychotropic drugs, antipsychotics and antidepressants. Yeah. And when they're on these medications, they can function yeah. and they can, you know, hold down a job and, and be social and, and interact appropriately in public and with their with their family and friends and, yeah. and life is somewhat normal for them. And that's a good thing. I and mean, there's going to be people that are going to be so far um, gone as far as needing that help yeah. that they m maybe this is the last thing that would work for them. Yeah. I would always encourage people to get um, just the easy, the counseling, go yeah. exercise, go eat well. Yeah. And if you do, a, go find a, a support group or be involved in a church and, and develop a loving support group around yeah. you or some other, if you have mm -hmm. a F, if you're into basketball or baseball or softball and you get in on a team and you have that camaraderie and, and then you do the counseling and the exercise and you eat well, a lot of times that'll just fix everything yeah. um, for most people. But there are some people or some like with bipolar, severe, severe bipolar disease. I've seen patients that they literally can't function unless, you know, they could do all those things, yeah. but they still have problems. And maybe the, the, the last line resort, they, sh they do need to try out the medication. Yeah. So okay. I'm not saying never use them, but it should always be last line yeah. therapy. Okay. That's a good point. Um, and it's good to know that you're, you're not like on this a hundred percent crusade against all sort of pharmaceuticals, you know, you just, it seems like a very balanced view that you have to me that, uh, you know, drugs have their place, but let's not make them the first port of call. Yeah, it should <laughs> be, you know, third, fourth, fifth down the line yeah. instead of first. Yeah. I've, uh, a lot of people naturally have, uh, I don't wonder if you've heard of this book called, uh, Potato hang on, was it? Potatoes, not Prozac. No, I haven't heard of that. You haven't? Okay. So a lot of people have sent me links to that book since, uh, for obvious reasons. Have you read and it? Uh, no, I've got it, but okay. I haven't, I've just, I'm so busy. I just haven't had a chance to read it, but I was, I was hoping you would have read it so that you could tell me about it. <laughs> no, I've never heard of it, but it actually sounds fast, fascinating. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'd really be interested in, in what that, what that has yeah, to say. I'll I, have I to look at it and pick up a copy myself. Yeah. I can't remember the, uh, the author's name at the moment, but I've read the blurb and yeah, it's, uh, you probably don't need to read the blurb to know what it's about but well, i tell you what I, <laughs> yeah. I i'm pretty sure that there's probably a lot less side effects and problems with potatoes than there is with taking prozac <laughs> there are a lot of side <laughs> effects actually but they're all good ones yes yes good bowel movements yeah. and good moods and yeah yeah so anyway we can a lot of we can uh we can change a lot about the way our brain works by changing the way we eat right absolutely yeah. absolutely we change the way we eat we move our body we and uh, you know, th at this conference, one thing that really stuck out to me is that a couple of the different speakers spoke so highly and recommended so highly how important love and support is in relationships. Mm. And that's almost like on the on the blue zones on, on yeah. Dan Butner's pyramid. That was the foundation 
of his pyramid was loving and supporting relationships yeah. with other human beings. Yeah. And then it was the food. Yeah. And then it was moving your body and, and so forth. And so that was that that was a common theme too. I came here thinking that this was going to be a um just all about nutrition and what to mm-hmm. eat and all that sort of thing. But there, obviously it was. There was a lot about nutrition, but there was also this big emphasis, like you said, on on just general lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. So how you how you move, how you relate to others, your spirituality, all this sort of. And I've personally, I've too, yeah. taken that more seriously in the past, probably three fourths of a year. Yeah. Because I was for many years, I've just been on this. I'm gonna work, 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 work. And, um, you know, I, in May, after I got done with my board certification exams and, and passed those, I was like, you know, I'm working myself to death Yeah. and I need to take some time to actually enjoy life, connect with my family, connect with my friends, yeah. develop, uh, some kind of a community and social relationships with people and have that love and support. Yeah. And it just makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's huge. Everyone knows that it's it's good to love and be loved. Yeah, <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's meaning a, of life. Yeah, is, absolutely, is, is yeah. to love. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, let's let's finish with uh, let's talk a little bit about what having talked about your your thoughts on drugs and that. Let's talk a little bit about what you personally do. How do you eat? How do you move? How do you live your life to keep healthy and so um, you know nutrition is a focal point of my my own personal life. And I, I stick to the fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes, which is bees, peas, bees, beans, peas, and lentils, and then um, nuts and seeds. Yeah. And so let's go through a day then. What would you have for breakfast on a typical so day? So like today for breakfast, I had oatmeal with yeah. some golden raisins in them and some yeah. cinnamon on yeah. top. And then I had fresh cut fruit. So watermelon, yeah. honeydew, pineapple, um, and, uh, and cantaloupe. And it was delicious. And then yeah. And so... Sounds like, f- like a pretty good breakfast to me. Yeah. yeah. Like for supper last night was a perfect example when we went out to eat. Uh, we went to a Mexican restaurant called Sucasa here in Santa Rosa. And I love the fact that they have a McDougal section on their recipe. Yeah, it's great. That's great. And I think all menus should have that. They At should. At least have that, but maybe just be that in total. But anyway. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be great because I felt safe, you know? Yeah, like it's yeah. hard to feel safe when you go out to eat. So I ordered a, a, a burrito, like a, um, a bean burrito, yeah. uh, and it had broccoli in it, and I think uh, beans and rice and stuff like that, and yeah. it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, there was enchilada sauce, and no oil. So I love Mexican food. Yeah. Um, I I like to make. Uh, I you know honestly I don't think I could live. I, I probably wouldn't be able to survive without brown rice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I know yeah. your thing is potatoes and mine yeah. is brown rice. I yeah. have brown rice all the time. Yeah. Okay. So brown rice with vegetables on top and then um, tomatoes and seasonings and, yeah. and um, salsa to season things up. Yeah. But, so I have that a lot for dinner. Yeah. Um, what about, what would you take to work? What would you? So what yeah. I do is I batch cook because yeah. I, I work uh, seven days on, seven days off. And okay. I, I do like my 80 hours in one week, so I don't have time to yeah. cook and stuff. So I'll make big pots of, of food on my week off. Like, you know, I made uh, Mary McDougal's Tex-Mex uh, yeah. um, couscous salad the other day. Yeah. And it was couscous and uh, bell peppers, red and green bell peppers and onions and uh, there was black and pinto beans in it and yeah. uh, green onions and 
um, all kinds of you know cilantro and all kinds of good stuff. And then I'll just put it in Tupperware dishes, freeze it. Yeah. And when I go to work, I just grab a container, go and so easy. I can I can do it like that. Yeah, and it's not that hard if you're making <coughs> if you're making one meal for dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that hard to like, just make just, a big pot. Just make ten meals instead of just one. Yeah, you just like, eat a little yeah. bit and you yeah and put the rest in. Yeah, I like cool. burgers too, like bean burgers. Yeah. So Jeff Novick has some great bean burger recipes. So oh, yeah. you make a whole batch of those up and then you can freeze some in the yeah. freezer and then just take them out and, and cook them when you Sounds need them. Sounds good. I love a burger too, but uh, I haven't actually got around to trying to make my own whole food plant-based burgers, but oh, that's something to try. They're sure. really simple. You yeah. make them in like 15 minutes or oh, less. Oh, really? That's yeah. all? Okay. So you oh, have to, I like Jeff Novick's uh, Fast fast Food Burgers and Fries, he has a DVD and it shows you oh, exactly okay. how to do it. All right. Simple and quick we'll and easy. I'll have to look that up. I'll, I'll, I'll do some show notes and try to go through this and uh, and try to put links on my website to all the interesting stuff we've talked about. So Absolutely. Yeah, if people want to find that, then go to the website and look up the episode page and hopefully it'll all be there if I'm good at my job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are. All right, you so la- last question. Uh, what, what now for the future? Do you have some goals or plans of where you want to take this plant-based physician thing? Well, or any, even any personal goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah I whatever. I want to. Um, I just want to continuing on. I my book was published about a. Um, it was about two two years ago. It was yeah. September of 2014. It's called yeah. the Empty Medicine Cabinet. Yeah. The Pharmacist's Guide to the Hidden Dangers of Drugs and the Healing Powers of Food. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting my hands on that. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. So I want to. I want to continue to help people with my book, um, to get out there and speak like at conferences like McDougal and. And then locally back in Florida and do podcast shows like this. Um, I'm uh, a monthly guest usually on the Dr. Don radio show. He's out of Bullhead City, City, Arizona. That's a normal radio show. It's a normal radio show. And he's actually on both AM and FM stations. And he's out to the public and he talks about this whole message. So I try to do radio show appearances, podcast show appearances, get out there and speak. And the more that we can get out there... And help people, the better off. And yeah. then I try to keep my website our, my website up to date with writing articles on different disease states and how the food yeah. versus the medicine works. And um, people can find that at um, plantbasedpharmacist.com. Yep. And I just uh, want to keep it rolling. And, yeah, and I, I, I see myself doing through. this. Sorry. I see myself yeah. doing this for 20, 30, 40 years from now. Yeah, great. Yeah, just do what you can to talk to anyone who will listen basically and absolutely try, try and get this, this connect with out. wonderful leaders like you in this field and mm. it's just great yeah well good luck to you i love what you're doing as i i don't know if i've said on this podcast yet but as i've said many times it's so nice to see uh someone in pharmacy who is basically against pharmacy you know yeah yeah <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's it's an unusual thing and it's, uh, you know, this podcast for me is all about talking to uh, people who are outside the square thinkers um, and people who do cool things basically. My whole, uh, at the core of my whole SpudFit challenge was me trying to improve myself as a person and I did that by doing something that's unusual and outside the square and I love having the opportunity to talk to other people who have also done things that are unusual and outside the square and improved themselves as a result. And hopefully some of what the people that I talk to have learned and done can rub off on me and help me to keep improving. And you certainly fit the bill. It's, uh, it's been a privilege and an honor to sit with you and talk and, uh, and hang out over the last couple of days. So 
It's thank been, you. Thank you, Andrew. It's been such a pleasure and it's such an honor and privilege to be on the podcast with you. All right. Uh, let's get you on the plane then. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Spot up. All right, how great was that? Isn't he lovely? Isn't he great? <laughs> I'm, uh, I think I'm Dustin Rudolph's number one fan now. Uh, thanks again, uh, Dustin, for being on the, on the show and thanks to everyone for listening. I hope you learned a lot as I did. I hope you uh, maybe changed your way of thinking about certain uh, drugs and certain, uh, certain diseases and ways that you can treat certain things. I hope... Uh, you have enjoyed it and maybe uh come up with a, come up with a plan to tackle your health issues differently in the future uh again if you're interested in finding out more about dustin you can look him up on the plant ba- uh, he is the plant-based pharmacist so you can look him up online as a plant-based pharmacist and you can search for dustin rudolph the empty medicine cabinet that's his book the Empty Medicine Cabinet, The Pharmacist's Guide to the Hidden Danger of Drugs and the Healing Powers of Foods. Uh, again, all the links to find Dustin and his, uh, his online website, social media stuff, I'll put it in, uh, in the show notes on my website, www.spudfit.com. And uh, that's that. Enjoy. Uh, again, if you like what I'm doing, please share it with your friends. Go to iTunes and hit subscribe and, uh, and leave me a five-star review. And, uh, and check out my book too, The DIY Spud Fit Challenge, uh, a how-to guide to doing your own Spud Fit Challenge. All right. Next week, it's uh, an exciting one for me. We have Alan Goldhammer on the podcast next week. So tune in next week and... Uh, continue to have your mind expanded (laughs) all right enjoy your week everyone thanks for listening spot up